I had dinner with Tim, I don't know, last, last week or week or so ago, and we um, pontificated down at the Fiddler for probably three hours about um, stuff and, and sank a couple of uh, ales and had a, great, had a great time. And surprisingly, after that time, Tim said, you know, would you like to share in church? And I went, oh, that's risky, Tim. And based on the things that we were talking about. And um, he said, no, go for it. And I, I said, well, I'll, I'll think about it. And, and um, I'd been brewing on some ideas, which we'll come to eventually. But uh, I think it was the Wednesday after that invitation that um, I woke up and Chris sent me an email and I just almost fell out of bed with some of the thoughts that were in this message that was in this email. So I rang up Tim and said, Tim, I'm in and I need two weeks. So um, kind of some things are brewing and he said, go for it. And um, So we're going to do this week, obviously, and then we're going to have a follow-up week next week. And what I'm going to speak into, as I kind of like to do, is speak into the big trends, the big pictures, the, the things that are happening out there. And as Chris travels the world and her ministry, I keep asking her, you know, what are, the, what are the trends? What are they saying out there? What's happening in the kingdom? Where are the developments? Where is the cutting edge? What's new? What's sort of the spirit on the church at this time? Because we've seen over, you know, the centuries, there are, there are moments and seasons that come and they bring all sorts of wonder and initiative and development and fruit and... And sometimes they fade, sometimes they go on for years. But um, so I'm always kind of reading and sensitive to what they are because Chris and I have had a kind of a history of being involved in ministries around the world and, and a couple of different movements over the years where we've seen these waves come and been a part of them. So I'm going to talk about some things I'm seeing, albeit, you know, that's just from my little framework, but... I, I find them interesting. And then I'll talk into some of the consequences of this big picture. And then next week I'm going to provide some tools, some frameworks, some filters to help us think about um, some of these trends that are going on with this one particular trend that um, I'm going to address. So God in this recent season for me has been just very disruptive. I've had quite a lot of unusual circumstances happen. You know, things that I can't quite explain, I don't quite know what they're about, they've been fun, but, you know, there's not any obvious future. There have been people who've come into my sphere that we've had this incredible moments with and They've disappeared, there's been prophecies, there's been scriptures, and he's sort of, feel, it feels like he's really poking me on a few things. And some days I feel a bit like the guy who's been kidnapped by aliens, that, that he's had this experience in this other, other place, a rocket ship or another planet, and you're back at Earth and you're trying, what was that about? Was that real? How do I explain that? People think I'm crazy. Um, yeah, more crazy. Um, and, you know, struggle with words and frameworks and, and pictures that, that um, make sense. 
But um, I get the feeling that, um, that the world is in this huge disruption. There is, there is so much going on at this point in time that is so staggering when you stop to think of it in the scale of history that so many things are being thrown up in the air, things that were normal and, and stable and reliable and, and um, traditional have just been you know, really turned upside down. And when things happen in the natural, it seems like consequently things start happening in the supernatural. There's this correlation with the natural and the supernatural. So I'm getting this feeling, this sense, and you probably, you know, in your own way feel it too, that the disruption that is going on, and I'll, I'll develop that a bit, in the natural is actually going to be shadowed by the supernatural, by the kingdom. There'll be there's huge disruption that will come and change some of the norms. Let me talk just a little bit about, you know, the disruption in the world, which doesn't take, you know, a rocket science to put your finger on some of it, but just purely the technology development in the last 20 years has so disrupted every norm you can imagine, turned things totally upside down because really the advent of the internet, of big data, of cloud computing, of streaming, the, the way commerce is being done, the way businesses are exploding and others that have run for hundreds of, you know, 150 years, 100 years are collapsing. The way that, you know, there's two Australian guys who started this company called Atlassian. I don't know if anyone knows Atlassian. Yeah, what, six years ago they were in the garage. Now they have a $30 billion company based around a small app that businesses use. And they've just bought two houses on the waterfront at um, Point Piper that belonged to this dynastic family. So, you know, I think it's, the, it's either Fairfaxes or the Packers. And it's this prof prophetic symbol of this disruption that the giants, the newspaper giants, the industry giants, the TV giants, who had had dynasties for, you know, three or four generations in Australia, in the space of five years have been taken out by these two young kids. And... It's symptomatic and dem demonstrative of what's going on. You've got Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Apple that have become these mega companies that are bigger than some small um, countries in their economies. They have such enormous power, such enormous profits. And a lot of those profits are coming from you and me giving them free data that then they sell onto somebody else. And, you know, the, the effect of... Facebook, just by itself, is so staggering in terms of what it's doing to our culture, what it's doing to our children, what it's doing to our minds, the disruption in our minds. You know, Facebook takes its data and, and it can hear sometimes what you're speaking about, it knows what you're looking at, and it starts to feed you opinions, it starts to feed you news, it starts to feed you products that you want because it knows the things that you are interested in, and it starts to make our worlds relatively small, and we start to get um, kind of surrounded by information and ideas that is being fed to us by these large organisations. Facebook's just been fined this last week. I don't know if anybody heard it. 
$5 billion for privacy breaches. $5 billion for privacy breaches because it's been selling data, entering into people's private um, uh, details and selling them on to places where it shouldn't. The effect of Facebook uh, in this world is just turning everything upside down. You know, I, I feel it as a 62-year-old, but I imagine parents of young kids feel it even more that this avenue, this access to so much information that's uncontrolled and unfiltered is a dangerous place to be. Um, companies like Tesla and Uber and Airbnb, you know, they've suddenly transformed the, the transportation world, the hospitality world, um, that they have no assets and yet Tesla just outpegged Ford. Ford is a 100-year-old company, and Tesla, after 10 years, have a higher market cap, and they haven't made a profit. And but somehow the concept of what they're doing has captured the investor's fancy, and you know its share price has just gone through the roof. And Ford has been around for how long? 100 years. It's sort of facing bankruptcy in the US and has been financed by the government. And Tesla hasn't made a profit. It's sort of... It's, um, just its market cap keeps climbing. And Uber is the same and Airbnb is the same. And social media, you know, Facebook's part of it, but it's so much wider than that. The effect of social media and the way now, say like President Trump, communicates with 63 million followers 20 times a day. The New York Times, at its peak circulation, is 3 million. President Trump has 63 million followers. And he sets the narrative 20 times a day. This is the story. This is how I see it. This is the truth. This, he hires and fires people on Twitter. Who has a Twitter account here, just out of interest? Not many. Okay. Do you know what Twitter is? <laughs> so what used to come through the filter of newspapers and radio and all those traditional mediums is now moving to this other level of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And that's where information's coming. And, and it's turning this generation upside down. It's destroying a whole lot of the norms. We're getting very unprotected in our, in our um, information that's coming to us. And we're being actually potentially manoeuvred and manipulated into places that you know, would surprise us if we knew what was going on. And of course, the disruption in the church at large. You know, we've had this run of royal commissions into institutions and into the churches and into the Salvation Army. And, you know, what's come out of that is horrifying. You know, the, the child abuse, the paedophilia, the, um, you know, the, the effect that priests and pastors and leaders have had on young kids is shocking and the whole institutional church has been totally disrupted because effectively people don't trust it. People, people wouldn't take it seriously. It's been totally marginalised. And so that whole arena has changed. And I think we've been a little seduced and lulled and numbed into a few things about what's going on. I think, you know, I guess who knows where it started, but the effect of the Industrial Revolution that started to equip civilization with doing things on mass machines and mass production 
actually lulled the church into doing things on mass and mass production. And although mass production can be a very beneficial thing, at the cost of the artisan, at the cost of the family, at the cost of the reproducing of a father to a son, uh, you know, we've lost this piece in our DNA and our makeup. We've, uh, we've been numb to um, the idea that the church actually has dominion and has the commandment to subdue the creation and to um, heal it and to be in charge of it and to be responsible for it and have dominion in it. And that's sort of become something that, you know, is not really part of our vocabulary. So, and particularly, and I've, I've, I spoke on this before, and this is where the Lord's been surprisingly disturbing me, um, we've lost our sense of spiritual mothers and fathers. And, um, you know, I, I spoke on it, I think, I've spoken on it sort of once as part of my journey once I sort of touched on it and I thought, oh, well, Lord, we'll just go to, we'll go quietly on that for a while. But this, this email that came um, on Wednesday morning just kind of uh, woke me up and, and I thought, God, this is, this is really what you're wanting me to talk about on Sunday. And so I'm going to read some of this out and then I'll come back and address it. We've really been conscious that there's a few sort of ministries around the world that are concentrating on raising up spiritual mothers and fathers or talking into the fatherlessness of the church and the nation. And uh, Chris Vallotton is one. He's sort of done a, I think it's a 12-week series where he started just, he started it one week and it just kept escalating. And so he's had a very similar heart and prompting um, is it Leif Heflin who's, yeah, he's had a very similar um, kind of word from the Lord and spoken into that in a, in a conference in Dayspring recently. Now, this lady, Catherine Brown, who's a friend of Chris's particularly, but ours, is a, um, a what well, she calls herself an apostle in Scotland and travels the world. And, you know, we'd love to hear what, what she says and she sort of posts things on the larger list occasionally and... So this is what she's come, this is, I'll read part of it, but it's part of a three-part series. As I travel the nations with Jesus, I observe that we have a generation of fatherless fathers, a self-parenting generation who have not had the experience of close parental input, either physical or spiritual, and who are now rising as leaders in their generation without the skill set, experience or gift of being parented. This generation have a desire to father or mother, yet they have not been properly fathered in the faith. Apostle Paul spoke to the church in Corinth of a similar issue in his day. This is 1 Corinthians 4.15. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus... I became your father through the gospel. Glory to God that in Christ the gospel creates covenant relationships through which spiritual fathers and mothers are raised up in the nation to serve the generation. God's intention is that the family unit would reveal his glory in all the earth. 
So it's Genesis 1.28, that the family unit would be the vehicle to reveal his glory in all the earth. Furthermore, his desire is that male and female co-laboring together in Christ would be spiritually fruitful and walk in dominion, release the government or ecclesia of God on the earth as they serve him in mutual submission to God and to each other. Satan has warred against fatherhood of God in every generation since time began and has sought to decimate the family unit in every conceivable way. In all spheres of society, the enemy seeks to desecrate and decimate fatherhood. Despite this awful onslaught in these end times, it is my belief that God is pouring out exponential grace on the body of Christ to experience his fatherhood. One way in which the Lord is doing this is by restoring spiritual fathers and mothers in the church. The emerging generation shall not be lost to an orphan mindset, but will be loved into healing and wholeness and walk in their God-given identity as sons and daughters and legitimate heirs. The aspect of fathering in the faith is not gender-bound. Fathers and mothers carry the heart of God the Father to his church and his children. Apostle Paul used both terms, father and mother, figuratively to speak to his spiritual children in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. And then later in verse 11 and 12, for you know we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. Paul often wrestled in prayer for those he discipled till Christ is formed in you, comparing this intercession to the pain of childbirth, despite the fact he'd obviously never given birth. So we see the Apostle Paul related to aspects of mothering and fathering um, and parenting in his preaching. So this goes on, and, and there's three parts to it, and um, it's been quite a, a kind of confirming message in my heart, in my story, about what God is calling us to. So I'd like you to look at that scripture, Genesis 1, 28, if you've got your, your Bibles there. Okay, so, you know, this is, this is right at the beginning, right at, at creation, and this is on the sixth day. And um, he just created mankind in his own image, and he created them male and female. And verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And what we see in this very early creation of man, woman, who would become a father and a mother, who were made by the Heavenly Father, that at day one, there's first of all a commission, an empowerment, but it's in the context of covenant, where a man covenants to a woman, and later, just a few verses later, he's told them to, or a chapter later, He's told them to, you know, leave and cleave. 
and that they are committed together for the rest of their lives. And it's that context that children are born and it's that context dominion and subduing the creation is to be had. So I want to raise um, this issue in our presence, in our midst, the issue of covenant. Because as we are fathers, fathers and mothers to our own children, and we're going to compare that very significantly to fathers and mothers of spiritual children, the issue of covenant is foundational and essential as the culture in which the fathering and mothering happens. Now, you know, what do you understand by covenant? What, what, you know, it sort of rings phrases like promise, agreement, commitment. And I think it's all those things. There's the old covenant, the new covenant. God keeps covenanting with man, with Adam, with Abraham, with Moses, with Solomon, with David. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament and covenants with us. So this culture of covenant, I think, is something that's been lost. It's something that we're not understanding, and yet it's foundational in the creation of the planet. It's foundational in a husband and wife. And I believe foundational in the way we approach spiritual mothering and fathering. The issue or the culture of saying, I'm committing to you. The issue of saying, let's come into agreement about some things we're going to do in the kingdom. Let's negotiate a little kind of contract or list of agreements that we're going to attach ourselves to that go way beyond, oh, I'll see you at church, maybe that go way beyond, oh, I love you, um, yeah, go well in life, that go way beyond turning up at the same events. There's the issue of promise, of commitment and agreement that needs to emerge out of the family that is the basis on which dominion comes. And uh, we're kind of experimenting with it in some of our groups where we, before we even got together with some of the guys. We kind of made a little bit of a list of we're going, to be, we're going to be committed to being together nine out of ten times. We're going to be committed to being accountable and vulnerable. We're going to be committed to being honest. We're going to be committed to each other's walk in Christ. We're going to be committed to wanting the best for each other. We're going to be committed to wanting the best for each other's families. And so that becomes this little covenant community that we're rolling in. And that's one of the characteristics and features of a spiritual father and a, and a spiritual family that is progressing in this, um, in this space of letting dominion and fruitfulness happen. So covenant is a culture that I think we'll need to talk about and need to, you know, we might talk about it a bit later. You know, where are the promises that you're making to people? Where are the, where's the calling out of, you know, I'd like to be with you, let's pursue some things together? Where is the sort of flavour of, um, this? we're serious about this. This is not just do things that I feel good about. This is a serious progression towards things you're hoping for in each other. God's done that to you. Your wife, your husband's done that to you. And that flavour needs to come into the family of Christ, the family of God. 
Now, obviously, the, the consequences of fatherlessness is that covenant's been missing. And uh, we're living in this place where men are raised by women and, and you know, the, the population of men generally is being feminised. And it's not surprising that the whole gender question is sort of up for grabs, that it's disappearing, you know, what, what is gender? And um, men have sort of, um, you know, been softened and not that your mothers aren't important, but when there's the absence of a father, then um, certain qualities start to, to fade or not be addressed. Father brings often a bit of discipline, adventure. He, um, he brings, um, you know, a lovely balance to, to the mother. Our jails are full. You know, if you break down how many criminals have fathers and significant father um, histories... Probably, you know, it's like something like 90% of our criminals haven't been fathered. Um, and, of course, abortions, because women have been impregnated by men, not fathers, and men not taking responsibility for, for what has been the fruit of their, you know, their activity. So the, the consequences of fatherlessness are just immense. And... Um, this kind of process is just multiplying and, and, and building a culture that, that has really um, demolished a whole lot of societal norms and really numbed a lot of us to what is important. Um, when you take fatherlessness out of the church, when you take the spirit of the covenant and fathers out of the church, you're left with a commitment to programs. You're left with... I turn up because I'm committed to the uh, service or I like this church because it has good preaching or I like this church because it has good worship. I like this church because it's got a good kids' ministry and I don't like this church for those reasons and I move on. Move on. In the context of relational fathering and mothering, the choice of community is around I like this church because that's where... I'm either being mothered and fathered or I can mother and father. And I'm there because the people that I'm committed to, that I've made promises to. And I turn up not to be part of the event, I turn up to be with the people who are part of the event. It's a great opportunity to be with the people that I've committed myself to. And uh, it turns the whole kind of um, event-driven church upside down when... It's driven by people and their relationships and their desire to be together because of what they've committed to, to each other. Okay, I want to just ask you um, to throw out some ideas about what has been... There's <laughs> a child calling. Um, what... What are some of the qualities of good fathering and good mothering that you've experienced? Just sort of, you know, adjectives. Available. <laughs> like that one. <laughs> Dependable. Yeah. Nurturing. Nurturing. They're kind of there. Um, bringing out and protecting. Yeah. 
<laughs> Other thoughts? Teaching. Okay, so they sort of have an impartation of values and how to do life and coping with issues. Yeah. Developing? Yeah. What do you mean by that, Andrew? Well, it's more than, it's more than just teaching. It's taking teaching to the next level where uh, you know, they're encouraging you and, um, and um, you know, helping you along the way and helping uh, you to, to do things beyond your comfort. So probably, you know, starting with teaching and being a bit more of a coach yeah. and developing skills and teaching and coaching. Yeah, that's good. Pete? Being present, being, being present and engaged. Do you find that difficult in your family? <laughs> we, we all find it, don't we? But it's such a good point to be present. And the, they say that, you know, the last generation, the fathers weren't present um, physically. Some, you know, a lot died in war and and they were so busy working, they weren't physically present. Now they're saying it's moving to a place where they're emotionally not present, that they're there, but they're not there. And um, so, yeah, being present, what does that mean? Engaged, curious, conversational, understanding. Any other thoughts? Yeah, spurs you on to greatness. It sort of calls you into your destiny, affirms your giftedness. Yeah. Celebrates, yeah, celebrates your, your achievements, celebrates who you are. So here's a little provocative question, right? No one's mentioned, oh, prayer counselling or prophetic over me as I was a child. And of course that's wonderful. But the matrix of relationship and mother and fathering is not that. But the church has kind of made ministry as only that. Do you see the point I'm making? That these, these specialties, these unique things that our kids might or we might need it and we've, you know, we've certainly benefited from it, prayer ministry, uh, Elijah House, which I totally encourage, prophetic gifting... It's so important to the church, but it's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about relational connectedness and parenting. And on top of that, it's not a gift to parent. It's actually mandatory. It's a mandatory call as the foundational base upon which everything else happens. It's not an option to say, oh, well, you know, you've got a gift. You're an you're a extrovert, which... Kind of Kel was saying to me, have a coffee there <laughs> this week. It's not, it's not dependent on gifting, it's a calling. You know, when you have kids, it, you know, it scares the heck out of you because you think, I've never had kids before, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but we're in. Off we go. And you learn along the way. And really in, the, in the, uh, this dynamic of spiritual mothering and fathering, it's not an option. It's not a gifting. It's not a, a wait till I get the call. It's, it's the DNA of the body of Christ upon which dominion, the ecclesia, the future government, the fruitfulness 
of the kingdom is born is when we collectively pick up this focus and learn these skills to become spiritual mothers and fathers. Now, it's, you know, it's seemingly a bit of a tragedy that most of us haven't been physically mothered or fathered all that well, or some have, but I think the majority haven't. And, you know, we've had parents that love us, but they haven't been doing a lot of these, these uh, um, qualities or had these characteristics to minister. My father was, I love him dearly, but, you know, he didn't know how to connect. He didn't know how to do any of the things that we really mentioned there. And so we're living in this space of potentially not being fathered and then potentially not even being spiritually fathered or mothered. And so we're in this space of desperately having to learn and having to engage, having to try and discover what that means. I had lunch, one of these uh, surprise sort of meetings this last week was with a guy that um, was a part of our church ministry 30 years ago. And he just contacted me out of the blue and we had lunch. And I was hearing his story and God led him to leave work and, and uh, just go out and pray. And he's done that for over 20 years. And how he survived, it's amazing. He's got three beautiful kids and his wife's done a little bit of working, but God has led him into this place. But one of the things he was telling me as we were talking was, you know, my parents were missionaries. They were never around. They were in Japan. He was in Australia. And he was never fathered. And he was very conscious of this when um, he came to have his own kids. And he kind of panicked and said, look, I have really no idea how to father my kids. So he would go to the playgrounds and he'd just sit there and watch all the parents. And he'd kind of identify which parents were having fun and engaged and what they were doing and how they were doing it. And he'd take notes so that when you know, it came time for him to be raising his kids, that he would have some ideas. And uh, he said, you know what, he, he got quite strong. He said, it has to stop. It has to stop. I commit to it stopping in my generation with my kids. So my kids grow up with a picture of what a father and a mother is so they can go and father and mother and perpetuate healthy, covenant, committed families that by basic definition will be fruitful. And, you know, we've been trying to, we've been trying to bring kids into the kingdom without the covenant, without the mothers and fathers. No wonder there's a huge transition of people in and out. Disappointment left and right. Because the spiritual mothering and fathering, the covenant commitment, the experience of knowing him how to do that hasn't been there. So I'm kind of raising a little flag, I guess, and raising a little um, stop point and maybe asking if I-61 and if you will join me in saying, let's let it go no further. Let's let the spiritual mother and fathering begin. Let's breed a generation of spiritual children, let alone physical children, who know what it's like to be loved, to be committed, to be persevered, to be faithful to, to be reliable with, to be invested in, to spend time with, to know their families, to journey with them, 
And into that context, we bring prayer minutes during conferences and sermons and church. But the primary platform, the foundational understanding is commitment and covenant and family. So I'm going to leave it there tonight. Um, I'm going to pray for us and uh, I'm going to just leave a little moment and maybe if you'd like to pray, um, feel free to pray. If not, it doesn't matter. Father, we thank you that you've set the incredible model and example of being our father. And you came into this world and connected and provided your Holy Spirit. And you have fathered us. But in your wisdom and in your plan, you have set us to be mothers and fathers also, following your model to bring true love and intimate love, connected love to those that you bring into your kingdom. Lord, we pray for an understanding of what they could look like. We pray for a culture of promise, of commitment, a culture of initiative, of time, a culture of fathering and mothering, a culture of learning how to father and mother, to stop the fatherlessness continuing into generations. Commitment to fathering so fruit, natural fruit, sons and daughters in the kingdom will just be naturally born. Father, we thank you that that was on your heart from the beginning. And we pray that... Uh, you will show us as we move forward how that, how that happens and what that looks like. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So next week, um, if you come back, <laughs> um, we're, going to, um, we're going to get into some little practical filters for what, what are some ideas that, that healthy children... Um, need in their, their, their sort of input. How do we think about and filter and build frameworks for mothering and fathering? And uh, I think, you know, we have to develop a, an ability and a, and a practice that's not driven by a sermon. It's driven by our own competencies and our own experiences and our own filters and our own frameworks. So we can build these relationships of initiative and have some kind of ideas of what we want to initiate over and what is important. So that's, that's uh, next week. And we'll be using John 17. We'll be going through that a little bit verse by verse. So if you've got a chance to read John 17 in the week and particularly Jesus' prayer and what in his last moments he thinks is important. And we'll, we'll kind of break that down next time we're together. <laughs>